0: Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll read chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Let's read God's good word together. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, I was talking to a, a professional colleague, and it wasn't someone that I really knew, but, you know, we knew a lot of the same people, and so we were just kind of getting to know each other and, you know, kind of mapping out the connections, like, oh, you know them, yeah, I know, I know them too, and that kind of thing, and, and she said, yeah, I actually remember you from, from our annual conference. I, I saw you from across the room, and you looked like a teenager who was wearing one of your dad's suits. <laughs> I was like 30 and hopefully my clothes fit a little bit better now, but, uh, but I thought, you know, I know how to make a first impression, and that was actually not the one that I wanted to make. You know, life has a way of humbling us, and whenever we are prideful, it can really be painful, and that wasn't my favorite moment, but hopefully I'm learning how to let those roll off my back a little bit more. But uh, we're talking about humility this week, and I'm still trying to figure out what it means that I'm the one who is asked to preach. Probably I'm the best preacher on humility on the staff, but I don't know. I mean, we will find out. And uh, I'm Brandon Blackson, I'm the executive pastor, and we're in week two of our sermon series on joy, how to find it, how to keep it, and how to share it in troubled times. And we started out last week um, talking about what really, what, what, what is joy In the Christian tradition, what does the Christian tradition have to say with joy? And uh, if you've grown up in church or maybe you've just looked at church from the outside, you might not think that joy is all that important, right? I mean, there are a lot of impressions of, of Christianity and of the church to where it's really about the stuff you ought to be doing. And if anything, it takes you away from the fun stuff and toward just kind of uh, just kind of dull obligation. And, and what, what Pastor Mark taught us, and, and he quoted uh, the great theologian Jürgen Moltmann, he said, we are created for joy. We are born for joy. And, and yet, if you've grown up in the church, you might not realize that or uh, anywhere else. But, but that's, it's absolutely at the core of our faith. And we see joy throughout the scriptures, throughout the life of Jesus, and that's the example that he sets for us. And so, throughout this, uh, we're going to be going through this for eight weeks. We're going to be talking about how to get more joy in your life and how to keep it and how to share it. And we're talking about eight different pillars of joy. Last week, what we talked about is the first pillar is perspective, is recognizing that that my world, the things that I think, the things that I experience aren't necessarily all there is to the world. And and really, the things that I think and experience have a lot more to do with, with how I am than how the world actually is. And whenever we can step back, whenever we can get away from our limited perspectives and broaden that, we can actually experience the world in a new way it opens up it opens us up to experiencing joy and and specifically the perspective shift that can make the biggest difference is shifting away from ourselves joy comes when we move beyond our own self-interest from i and me to us and we. And if that sounds familiar, we've been talking about this in the Lord's Prayer, and you'll notice that as you look at the words in the Lord's Prayer, it's not, it's not singular, it's plural. It's not I and me, it's us and we. And, and that's really what, what our faith is all about. It's about much, something much bigger than just any one of us. And, and so we're going to continue on that line today as we talk about the second pillar, which is humility and uh, you know we know that humility is is something good we know that it's something that that we ought to have and maybe it's even something that we want to want but it is something that is difficult to actually want and and so that's what we're looking at because it can actually make a huge difference in your life but the problem is we have a tendency not to want it we have a tendency to be status seekers people who seek status for ourselves and, and this comes partially from the way that we're wired, partially from the fact that, that we are social beings. And so we desire the esteem of people around us. We, we want our families, our friends, the people we care about, we want the people in our community to think well of us. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that's easily distorted into a desire not just to have people think well of us, but to, that, to think better of us than someone else, to, to have status over someone else. Right, And this happens all kinds of different ways. We want to be thought of maybe whenever we're younger or sometimes whenever we're older. We want to be thought of as the best athlete or the smartest kid in class. Or, or we want to have a house that's better than the people around us. And, and we're going to check Zillow multiple times a week just to make sure, right? We want people to know about our professional accomplishments and how successful we are and, and make sure that, that our social lives give evidence to that fact so they can see that. And it happens to all of us. It's, you know, it's not just someone else's problem. Each and every one of us falls into that. We all have that desire to have some kind of status. And uh, Arthur Brooks tells a story. He was talking to an investment banker. She was very successful, uh, well into her career in her 50s, and uh, you know, worth many tens of millions of dollars. And it was really in the top of her field. And he was talking to her, and she said you know i'm just I'm just not really happy. Um, work isn't as fun as it used to be, and um you know uh, uh, my husband and i were we you know, just kind of go through the motions. Uh, my relationships with my kids are cordial, but there's no really depth there. Um, my health isn't great, and I'm really probably drinking more than I ought to. And, uh, and he said, you know, I, this isn't, you don't need a nerd with a PhD to tell you you just need to work less. You can actually give attention to those other things. Spend time with your husband, with your kids. Spend time focusing on your health and, and having positive social interactions that don't revolve around alcohol. And, and she, she thought about that. And she said, you know... I think I would rather be special than happy. And that's something that a lot of us will choose sometimes, sometimes without thinking of it in such stark terms. But we think, you know, I, I, I know that I could live a life that is fairly normal and, and be happy with it, but I'd rather make myself miserable and, and be special. I, I'd rather sacrifice the things that are going to, uh, going to really bring fulfillment so that other people will think that I have a high status. Can anyone relate to that? I mean, it's something that all of us struggle with, I think. Often we would rather be special than happy, we'd rather be seen as someone with a high status. And of course, this, this won't surprise you at all, but, but in the era that we live in, social media takes that, that distortion of our natural social wiring and it just exploits it and intensifies the problem. I and mean, this desire that we have to, to be well thought of by the people around us, I mean, now all of a sudden it's not just the people in our community that can tell us what they think about us, it's everybody in the world. I try to spend less and less time on social media for for my mental health and uh, I, I posted a picture of my family it was like the first post that I made in like a year and uh, it was my family and and actually uh, so i 'll tell you all the hint the status that social media brings is not worth that much, but if you have two daughters and put them in matching outfits on Easter, that is the key to engagement so you can take that one that 's not really what the sermon 's about, but I found myself like like i I know that that's, you know, it doesn't matter, but I post it and then people started liking it. And I was like, oh, kind of a lot of people. And I found myself just going back and checking. And wow, these people have commented and, and granted my family is cute. But, but I also know that what does, what does a like actually mean? It means that somebody who's somehow connected with me likes me enough to go like this. That's all that that means. And yet, it, the, the, the social wiring of our brains are, so, are short-circuited by, by those kinds of things because we have this natural desire to want people to think well of us. And, and what the, whenever we talk about it theologically, what the, what the problem actually is, is it's a problem of pride. And Pride. This is how St. Thomas Aquinas defined it. He says, pride is an inordinate desire of one's own excellence specifically an inordinate desire so not an appropriate desire but but an inordinate desire and specifically desire to be to have the excellence that exceeds everything else which is god's excellence that none of us can attain and yet we seek it for ourselves we seek we seek excellence over others we want to be thought of as better than them and what happens whenever we fall into pride is it harms our friendships our families our work and our spiritual lives and it keeps us from all kinds of good things that God wants for us. And so it can keep us from, from all of these things. It can keep us from learning. You know, you can't learn anything if you already know it. And, and you'd have to admit that there are things you don't know. And so you're just like, no, I got this. I, I already know everything I need to know. And, and, you know, you're in trouble whenever someone says that. Like, I've got it. Do you? I mean, because we all have things that we need to learn. And yet pride will keep us from that. It can also keep us from forgiveness because we would have to admit that we're wrong. And whenever you're pri- I mean you know that it 's not easy to admit that you 're wrong in the best of times, and, and so pride keeps us from that, but you can 't have a real relationship if there 's no forgiveness and so pride can get in the way of that. it also keeps us from receiving help, right? Has anyone here been too proud like to ask for help? You know, so whenever you're carrying like five boxes because God forbid you make more than one trip to the car and uh, somebody says, hey, you have it? You're like, no, I got it. And then three steps later, like crash everywhere. But sometimes our pride gets in the way of ever being helped by other people. And finally, we, we can't even enjoy life because whenever something good happens, we're too wor- busy worrying about what others might think about it. We're worrying about what kind of status that gives to us. And so I can't enjoy my vacation because I have to post about how great it is so everyone will know that my family vacations are better than theirs. Or I can't enjoy my house because I'm worried about if my neighbor has more square footage and all of those kinds of things. I can't enjoy my kids' accomplishment because I'm not 100% sure that everyone knows how smart my kids are. We're worried about what everybody thinks and we can't actually enjoy the things that are happening. Whenever we're too worried about what our gifts bring us as far as status, we can't actually enjoy those gifts. And the counterintuitive thing that we learn about in the gospel is that if we really want to experience joy, the thing that we seek is a higher status. We think, you know, if people just, if I were just more successful, if I just had more wealth, if I, you know, all of those kinds of things, that then I would be happy. What Jesus actually shows us is that if we really want joy, it comes from having a lower status. It comes from having less status. And so we see this in his teachings in the way that he taught, and, and there's something that, that's hard for us to appreciate today, but whenever he came along, he taught something that was new, that was not part of the cultural world that he lived in, and that was humility. And so in, in, in the Greco-Roman world, the, the Holy Land Israel was conquered by the Roman Empire, and so that was kind of the the cultural context that he found himself in, but in the Greco-Roman world, humility was seen as a liability. It was something that could get in the way of your attaining greatness. And so, you know, that's strange for us to think about, because even if we don't want it, we know that we ought to want humility today. But in that world that Jesus was operating in, that wasn't even something that anyone would think, why would you want to be humble? Like, you should want to be great so that other people will look at you and see your excellence and all those kinds of things. And so he was t- Teaching something completely new, and, and the way that he did that, he said that in his kingdom, the way to true greatness is to become what a servant. You all know this. I know this isn't new, but it's something that we all need to be reminded of. And so, this is what he said. He said, "The greatest among you will be your servant." Is anyone like excited about that? Like, yeah, I can't wait to be great so I can be a servant. I want to serve some people. This is what he says: All who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted." And, and doesn't life have a way of humbling us whenever we lift ourselves up? I'm in my early, late 30s. <laughs> and I, I don't know how I'm gonna spend the next year, but working on it. And yesterday, I was setting up a bounce house. That seems pretty easy, right? Apparently, bounce houses weigh like 200 pounds. News to me. And uh, today my body is telling me that I am no longer in my 20s. And uh, these steps were actually a lot harder than they had any right to be for four steps. But, you know, whenever we experience those things, aging, going through different experiencing has a way of, of humbling us. And, and so if we can learn this from Jesus, it makes it a lot easier whenever those things come. If we can learn humility before we have to, it's a lot less painful. And, and so that's what he teaches us. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he not only taught humility, but he embodied it in the very way that he lived. And so this is what Paul tells the church in Philippi, in the, book, in the letter to the Philippians. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. And so if you're thinking about status, equality with God, is there a status higher than that? Like, no, that's the definition of God, right? There's no higher status than that. And, and yet he didn't consider it something to be exploited. He wasn't like, oh, I'm an influencer now. I'm going to see if I can get some free stuff. That's, that's not how Jesus worked. He did not consider it something to be exploited. But what did he do? He emptied himself. He emptied himself of status, taking the form, not, not of a king, but of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross now this is not the trajectory that you would expect for someone who shared the status of god and yet that's the way that jesus lived among us the fact that he even came to live among us at all was lowering himself humbling himself and yet that's who he is and, and so Paul encouraged them not just to, to know that, but to actually model the way that they lived after the way that he lived. That started, have the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so this is what that looks like, to have the mind of Christ. This is what, what, the way that he explains it. He says, "...do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others." And isn't that essentially the opposite of pride? Pride's taking almost everything and saying, what, what does this say about my interest? Or how can I take this and spin it in my interest? What humility looks like, what having the mind of Christ looks like, is not looking at our interests, but in the interests of others. And, and so whenever we, we see that, it's really not about thinking, uh, you've probably heard the quote, it's not about thinking less of ourselves, it's about thinking of ourselves LESS. And we often get humility mixed up. We often have an unhealthy look at it, uh, an unhealthy conception of it. We often mistake humility for self-loathing, of not just thinking less of yourself, but actually or not thinking of yourself less, but actually thinking of yourself as lowly, as no good. And, and whenever we give into to that, and that can lead itself into false humility. And, and you've experienced this. You've talked to people like that. like People who are clearly good at something and you talk about, no, I'm not any good at that or I'm terrible. It would be like if the singers in the band today talked about how bad they were at singing it's like no we can hear you like we know that's not true you're great singers but sometimes people people say that and sometimes we're t- you know because we don't want to be seen as prideful and, and yet we, so we put ourselves down and that's not what humility is either We've also seen throughout history, humility sometimes been used as a way of keeping people in their place, and particularly women, particularly people of color. And so I also want to recognize that's not what humility is either. It's not something that we prescribe for other people. Um, it's, it's, it's not about that. And, and so it's, it's actually, I think, if you, what humility is, C.S. Lewis puts it really well about what that actually looks like. And so this is what he says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy... Isn't that a great word? A, a, a greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Again, that's that's false humility. Putting, that's still making it about ourselves. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. I think that's key. Not a key interest in himself, but a key interest who took a keen a real, okay, I'm trying to change the quote, a real interest in what you said to him. He cared about the people around him. He continues, if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And I think that's really key. Whenever we think about how do we actually attain humility, it it begins not by despising oneself. It's not about despising myself. It's about valuing others, about taking the focus off of me and putting it on other people. And whenever we do that, it can change the way that we see the world. This is what Archbishop Desmond Tutu says about that. He says, When we realize that we are all children of God and of equal and intrinsic value, then we don't have to feel better or worse than others. No one is a divine accident. Whenever we accept that each and every one of us is children of God, including us, we can accept that, that I don't have to worry about whether you are higher on the, on the status chain than I am or whether you have more than I do. We can recognize that each of us has our, our value from God. And whenever we, whenever we focus on others, what it, that does for us is it, it gives us less time to focus on ourselves We can't think about ourselves and how every little thing affects us if we're too busy thinking about others one of the other things that i have found that really helps me in my life to to think more broadly than just about myself to kind of help me keep perspective is going into nature nature reminds us of the vastness of god's creation and, and and that each of us is a part of that and it has a way of making us feel small but not any less valued. I can stand next to to the glory of God's creation and recognize that I have the privilege of being a part of that. And, and so I experienced this whenever I was in the Alps. I got to, whenever I was in college, go snowboarding in Austria. The snowboarding was terrible. It was just like a sheet of ice and I was just trying not to fall and break something. But the best part was whenever we got off the ski lift and I just looked and, and it's hard, I mean, these moments you can never capture, especially if you're, I guess I didn't take that picture, but, uh, but I mean, these, these moments you just, it was like the mountains went on forever. And it was just, I was in like in something out of a movie, just the story that was so much bigger than myself. I experienced this in, um, in Argentina. We went to Iguazu Falls and it's like 270 degrees. I mean, almost a f- three quarters of a circle. Anyway, check my math. But, but I mean, just you're surrounded by waterfalls that are like the size of Niagara Falls. It's, I mean, just utterly breathtaking. And, and just the reminder that God created all of this and uh, it doesn't revolve around me And somehow it's better that way. Because whenever we have humility, whenever we learn to be humble, it sets us free. It doesn't put us down into our place, but actually sets us free. Humility teaches us that we are not the center of the universe, God is. And so we're relieved of all the pressure of having to keep everything together and making sure that every single thing is right because it needs to be right because everyone is counting on me. Everything, the things that are going on in my life matter cosmically. And I can recognize that that I don't have to carry that burden because God does. And if I think that I can, I'm fooling myself. But sometimes I'm also pretty good at fooling myself. But I'm not the center of all that is. Only God is. And so Bishop Tutu again says, humility is the recognition that your gifts are from God. And this lets you sit relatively loosely to those gifts, that you don't have to hold on to them and be worried that someone's going to take them, that if if you're not seen in the way you want to be seen, that, that people are going to think less of you, you can just hold them lightly. He goes on, humility allows us to celebrate the gifts of others, but it does not mean you have to deny your own gifts or shrink from using them. Now, you might have noticed today's graduation Sunday, we're celebrating our graduates, and uh, at the same time that we're telling you how great you are and how excited we are for you, we're also saying be humble. And uh, there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance there, right? But here's the thing, whenever we are humble, then we don't have to worry about who's better. We can, I can celebrate your accomplishments even as you celebrate mine, and I don't have to see that as a threat. Whenever I look at you, I don't have to see your class ranking and wondering if that's pushing me down, but I can celebrate what God has given you because I know that everything that I am and everything that I have is a gift from God, and the same is true of you. We can celebrate and give thanks with one another because it's not about us. And whenever we learn humility, we no longer have to ask about every moment. We don't have to worry about, what does this say about me? Because that's what pride does. It takes everything that happens to us and makes it about us. I had a good reminder about, of this recently. Um, someone came up to the church and, and asked me for something. It wasn't a member of our community, but it was someone who was asking for something that I wasn't able to give, and so I had to say no. And, and they responded by getting mad and insulting me. And uh, you know how that goes, right? I mean, your blood pressure kind of goes up, and you think, wait a second, I need to tell you, I need to straighten you out, because what you said is not true. And, and thankfully, I didn't really have a chance to in the moment. But afterward, I was thinking, you know, if this happened to someone else, what would I tell them? I thought what I would tell them is, is what happened was not about you. It was about what's going on with them. And I realized, oh, you know, that wasn't actually about me. But in the moment, it was about me. And so that's what humility does. It enables us to take those things and, and to let them go and say, you know, everybody who says something bad about me on the Internet, I don't have to straighten them out. I don't even have to check it to find out if they did say something bad about me because it's not about me and that's the gift that humility gives us is we don't have to make everything about us and we're also set free from image management about worrying about exactly what kind you know how we're perceived whether or not we look like a professional or look like we're wearing our dad suits we can set all that stuff aside i don't have to worry about that because my image isn't who i am who i am is somebody who's made by god beloved by God. And so this is, this is what Jesus teaches us, is go, to go back where we started. Jesus says, "'Come to me, all you that are weary "'and are carrying heavy burdens, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart.'" and you will find rest for your souls. Now, it's interesting. I hadn't really noticed this before this week, but if you look at what he's saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So what what is he having us learn from him? For I am gentle and humble in heart. Being gentleness and humility is what he's inviting us to learn from him. And what do we find whenever we learn that? Rest, because we're set free from all of the demands of pride and image management and having to keep the world spinning around us because it doesn't we know that god is at the center of the universe of all that is and here's the truth that that we can keep in mind is we can remember that no one is any more or less worthy of love and acceptance than you are no matter how high their status how many billions of followers they have or billions of dollars they they are no more valuable than you are and there is nobody who, who is so far down, who, who is walking the streets of Oklahoma City and hasn't slept in a bed in months. There's nobody who is higher than them. This is the only status that matters. There is one that's worth pursuing, and you don't have to pursue it because you already have it. You are beloved by God. That's the only one that matters. Everything else is just a distraction from the truth that is at the center of who we are. That's what our status is. And so we don't have to worry about what everyone else thinks. You know, whenever we talk about status, a lot of times where we end up is thinking about our legacy, right? And legacy is basically our status over time. And uh, how will we be remembered? And so, you know, it's graduate Sunday. My, my oldest daughter's finishing up first grade. And so I've th- been thinking about first grade. And I know that you wanted to see more photos of me. And so this is my first day of first grade and uh, and that i i was a little bit less put together by the end of the day i'm told uh first full day of school was tough uh but but my first grade teacher was was mrs goff uh, ann goff um she's norman oklahoma mckinley elementary school does anyone know her so so zero hands are being raised for the folks online does anyone do you does anyone remember your first grade teacher yeah, so you all remember your first grade teacher. Now, do any of you know the first grade teachers or the people around you who aren't in your family? So, so no, that, that's interesting because when we think about legacy, we think about who are people who are remembered. You know, we think about people like Steve Jobs and he invented the iPhone or, or the person who invented the, inter- does anyone know who invented the internal combustion engine? Like unless you walked, you got here on one, it's still affecting your life, but we don't even know who that is and so what kind of legacy do they leave if we don't even remember their name and yet the kind of legacy that ultimately makes a difference is not all of that stuff it's the people who leave a legacy of love it's the people who sit down with first graders day after day and put up with all that first graders bring and teach them how to read and show up and offer them love every single day and so whatever, you know, whatever status looks like for you, whatever the things are that you're you're tempted to follow, the ones that matter most are, are not the ones that get your names on building or get you lots of retweets. The ones that matter are love, are acts of love, because that's where our legacy lies, is with love. That's what Jesus teaches us. And so here are, some, here are some action steps I want to challenge you to take this week. There's some ways I want to challenge you to live this out. First, I want to challenge you to, to reflect and, and make a list of the ways that you desire status over others. And, and so growing up, the way that I wanted to think about myself, I, I wanted people to think that I was the smart kid. Like, that's, that's what I wanted to think. And it's hard to be the smart kid if you're not smarter than other people. And so sometimes that's still tempting for me. But but what is that for you? And, and if the line is blank, if you think it's nothing, then, then we've got some self-denial to work through, right? I mean, because all of us struggle with that. But, but if I, w- I want people to think of me as someone who, you know, is is evidence of success because of all the wealth that they have or who's professionally accomplished whatever that is think about that because we can't overcome that until we recognize what it is where are the places that you seek status over others and then as you're seeking to divest yourself of that as you're trying to get rid of that take some time in nature and remember your place in it recognize that i am valued by god and god also made this big and beautiful world that i get to be a part of and it's not about me but I'm still no less valued because of that. So take some time to remember that. And then whenever you go through the next week, if there are moments where you feel insulted, where you feel affronted or offended or any of those kinds of things, ask yourself, am I making this about me? Because that's our tendency, is to, to take things that are not really about us and to make them about us. And, and here's, here's an extra bonus point, even if it is about you, a lot of times if you can just let go of it, you'll be a lot happier. Because humility is learning to value others more than ourselves. is learning to follow Jesus, the one who emptied himself of status for love and seeking the good of the people around us. And whenever we do that, regardless of how many people remember our name, regardless of the accolades that are next to our, to our name, we will have made an impact that matters. We pray with me? Actually, yes, will you pray with me? We're going to pray a litany that I almost forgot, and, um, and this is a litany of humility. It was written by a cardinal that, that's designed to help us to practice humility, and so I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored and consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised and preferred, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it that others may be praised and I unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. And as God grants us that grace, we get to experience the humility that leads to joy. Will you join me now as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses,